if I had to boil it down to even just one word, for me, mindfulness is about connection. Right? Mm. It's the connection that you have to yourself, the connection that you might have with the person that you're chatting with or you're talking, or the connection that you're feeling with the environment around you as you're paying attention to it with, again, kindness and curiosity and noticing how it's impacting you. Mm. And so in a lot of ways, it's like, can we connect Right? right to this moment in a way that's beneficial to all of us, even if it's hard, even if it's stressful, um, which I think it's what a lot of teachers' experiences <laughs> are, right? One of the life tensions I find fascinating is the tension between individuality and community. In American culture, we are rooted to the idea of individual expression and freedom. Just be yourself, pull yourself up, develop your personal brand. And as cute and important as this idea is, we're also biologically rooted in community. We grow, create, and connect as groups. The emotions, facial expressions, and communication wired into us are designed to help us work together. But the past few years seem to have pulled this individual versus community tension tighter. We polarize in groups and then distance ourselves from others. We flock to social media built on algorithms that place us in silos. We teach in social settings yet close our doors and go it alone each day. Last week in our lead episode of our summer self-growth series, we highlighted mindfulness as a way to look inward, exploring our emotions with attention and curiosity. This week, we look at the other side of the coin. How can mindfulness practices help us see our interconnectedness to our schools, to our communities, to our life as a whole? If you've felt the strain of distance or isolation or just cynicism about life and society, then let's bring it together this week. It's time to bond and breathe together on another special episode of Educator Happy Hour. Educator Happy Hour is brought to you by TYS Speakers. Are you looking to inspire your students or staff to not only motivate their thinking, but their actions in school and beyond? Then check out TYS Speakers. TYS Speakers is a group of carefully vetted speakers and professional development leaders whose messages are engaging, evidence-based, and life-changing. Browse the speakers and watch preview videos at tysspeakers.com. What is up, Happy Hour HodgePodge? I hope y'all are off to a great start to your week. Maybe you're kicking off summer break. Maybe you're deep into summer break. Or maybe you don't really get a summer break. Womp womp. Now, no matter where you're at, I'm Geek to bring you another episode solely dedicated to your self-growth. First, an announcement. Last week, you had a chance to win Dr. Amy Saltzman's amazing book, A Still Quiet Place, a mindfulness program for teaching children and adolescents to ease stress and difficult emotions. Now, many folks responded with a key word of emotion, but there can only be one winner. And that winner is Holly. Be on the lookout in your social media. I'll be responding back to get your address to send that book your way. Now, if you're feeling a little bummed down because you didn't win this one or forgot to enter, don't you worry because stay tuned. I've got a couple more giveaways up my sleeve throughout this self-growth series. Now, last week, Dr. Amy Saltzman helped us dive deep into the power of emotions, how our energy and emotional bank accounts can affect our decisions, our well-being, and our practice as educators, and how can mindfulness help us tap into a better awareness, curiosity, and decision-making around those emotions. But this week, we give a new lens for the why behind growing our practice in mindfulness. By practicing mindfulness, we not only find a deeper connection with our own emotions and experience, 
but we get to strengthen our connection with the people in the world around us. We drop that tension of individual versus collective to see the power of both, our unique, always changing experiences as individuals within a deeply connected society and world. And not only will we understand the why behind mindfulness as a way to build that connection, but we're also gonna look at some simple practices that any educator can do to feel that deeper connection in their world. And helping guide us to build this sense of interconnection through mindfulness is our teacher Argos Gonzalez of Mindful Schools. Drawing on more than 13 years of experience as a high school English teacher in the Bronx, Argos is an equity-driven educator and thought leader who leverages his mindfulness practice to engage communities in creating positive systems of change. Argos joined Mindful Schools in 2014 as a guiding teacher for online courses, and since then he's held various roles as community content editor, mentor, and lead teacher for the Mindful Teacher Certification Program. Currently, Argos serves as head of instruction where his experience as an educational leader helps him shepherd the internal learning journey and shapes the program delivery of Mindful Schools. Argos immigrated from Venezuela when he was young, grew up in Queens, New York, and currently lives in New York City area with his wife, son, daughter, and two cats. Argos enjoys going on long walks with his family, and as his children have gotten older, he has rediscovered skateboarding, playing video games, and watching superhero movies, and he's going to show us his superpowers and weaving mindfulness into the busy educator's day. Welcome, Argos Gonzalez. All right, Argos, welcome to Educator Happy Hour. I am so geeked to get a chance to chat with you on this this thing that a lot of educators know about and maybe have experienced called mindfulness. So welcome. Oh, thanks for having me, Chase. I'm excited too to talk about mindfulness and hopefully offer some tips to support our listeners. For sure. I think mindfulness is one of those topics that most educators have at least heard of or at least dabbled in, but there's still a lot of misunderstanding around what exactly it is. And a lot of times when I work with with educators, I tell them that mindfulness is like exercise. It is a very broad world and there are all these different ways you can exercise for different benefits and different purposes. And so too with mindfulness, like there are all these different things you can do for different purposes and benefits. But if you could kind of boil it down into like a dirty and nerdy definition, how do you (laughs) define mindfulness? Yeah, one of my favorite definitions is actually by Amy Saltzman's, where she Mm -hmm. says, um, mindfulness is paying attention to your life here and now with kindness and curiosity or something like that. I might have gotten it off a little bit. Um, But I love that definition, especially when I'm talking to people who are newer to mindfulness, because it's kind of kind of tells you the main points. It's like it's about paying attention. Right. Like we're going to focus. We're going to try to pay attention to things in a certain way. Right. And we're going to pay attention to our life. We're going to pay attention to what's happening right here, right now. And there's a lot of things happening in life. Right. (laughs) So there's a lot of different things that we can focus in on. But we're going to pick something and we're going to look at it through a lens of kindness and curiosity. Right. Mm. And so when you're being kind and you're being curious, there's a certain way of looking at life that Mm. hopefully suspends judgment but hopefully opens up your mind and your heart to kind of engage and connect. Mm. And so in a lot of ways, if I had to boil it down to even just one word, for me, mindfulness is about connection. Right? Mm. It's the connection that you have to yourself, the connection that you might have with the person that you're chatting with or you're talking, or the connection that you're feeling with the environment around you as you're paying attention to it with, again, kindness and curiosity and noticing how it's impacting you. Mm. And so in a lot of ways, it's like, can we connect right, right to this moment in a way that's beneficial to all of us, right? Yeah. Um, even if it's hard, even if it's stressful, 
um, which I think it's what a lot of teachers' experiences are, right? <laughs> yeah. Being in the classroom, it's hard, yeah. it's challenging, stressful. But we want to model curiosity, right? We yeah. want to model how to be in the world, even when there's challenges, as much as we're teaching our content area or whatever yeah, else. Yeah, that that idea of connection is such a, a key word because I think a lot of educators, myself included, have seen the strain of disconnection that has happened in education over the past few years. Like literally there's a disconnect over COVID-19 of like, I'm not in person with my students, but then there are the political disconnects and the just emotional disconnects. And I think even just on the affective lens of like disconnecting from the moment right now because I'm too stressed or I'm too anxious. So I'm going to distract yeah. with something else. And so that that word connection does get at yeah. the root of what I think a lot of educators are struggling with, but really need right now. So let, let's segue a little bit into that. What are what are some of the like if someone's skeptical as an educator and they're like, I don't know why I need mindfulness. Like I have all this other mm. stuff. Like what are some of the benefits or some of the reasons why you think mindfulness practices are critical for educators for their well being and the work that they do? You know, first I'll start by saying that like mindfulness is something innate. It's a quality that mm. we all have, right? Mm. And so I think all educators have had that experience of feeling at ease, yeah. of feeling joy, of feeling like, wow, everything just kind of worked really well. Right. Uh, maybe not the way I planned it, <laughs> yeah. but the students got <laughs> what they needed to get out of the lesson. I feel positive. I feel good. And maybe there's a sense of warmth that you feel, right? Because yeah. you begin to kind of just sit in that feeling good about what just happened. That to me is mindfulness, right? And I think every educator um, has felt that to a certain degree. The problem is, like you said before, that it's hard to continue to tap into that mm. when you've got a million things going on, <laughs> when you have 30 different personalities in that space, uh, when kids have different needs, when you feel a lot of pressure from a lot of different places, when you're trying to do a lot of things, mm. when you're trying to meet your objective of the lesson. It's hard to stay connected to that feeling of like, oh, this job is a calling and mm. I'm doing it because I'm supporting a better future, right? Like yeah. we tend to forget like those um, idealistic notions we had going into the <laughs> profession, right? Yeah. Um, because we're in the everyday struggle of doing the hard work of teaching and mm. learning. Um, and so I think mindfulness supports us, first of all, and remind, remembering that cause, that North Star, mm. that reason why we're doing this work, right? Like what feels meaningful and powerful for us. So I think mindfulness supports us in staying connected to that, right? Mm. Mindfulness also very practically helps us stay connected to what's happening in the moment so that we're not lost in our head. Mm -hmm. We're not thinking about only the objective, but we're actually seeing what's happening in the space around us mm. as we're trying to teach, as all these different kids with different needs are trying to learn right yeah. and if we're talking about connection and relationship that's super important right yeah. relationship is going to support your class and flourishing and feeling lively and feeling like oh even if i'm having a hard time with this topic this content i'm willing to challenge myself to take this risk because i feel like i belong in this space which again, mindfulness supports that idea mm. of, hey, I'm here for you. I'm here right. to connect with you. I'm here to support you. And yeah, I got something to do because I got needs too. And I'm really in touch with those needs because yeah. my mindfulness practice supports me and also realizing how I'm feeling, how I'm doing, how I need to take care of myself, right? Yeah. And so in that way, 
Mindfulness helps us be aware of not only what's happening in the classroom, what's happening in ourselves, what's happening in um, our pursuit of our goals and our dreams as far as what the work that we want to do um, in the classroom. But then mindfulness also just helps us really be aware of the bigger environment structures, systems mm. that are also impacting us, yeah. right? So they help us see the world in a much broader lens mm. instead of um, what happens a lot, um, especially when in, we're in like flight or fight mode, where our vision narrows, we get really stuck on like this little tiny detail that we mm. need to get done, um, which again, is a way for us to kind of deal with the overwhelm, <laughs> but it's actually not very helpful yeah. when we're trying to achieve like a greater purpose, which is whatever our lesson of the day's objective is, but also whatever like our goal is in education, right? Yeah. Like our pedagogical vision of what we want to achieve at any given moment. Yeah. Um, and so I could get really philosophical about that, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, part, and part of why I do is because I do teach at Hunter College with, with teachers who, who are beginning their career. Mm. And so I see that idealism, right? <laughs> yeah. And then two months into student teaching, they're like, holy crap, right? And then so I bring mindfulness. I bring these notions of remember your vision, remember what you wanted to really do in this work, because this is how you're going to be tested. Get really mm. clear about that. Mindfulness supports that clarity. And it's very, very practical, right? Mm. Because if you're here in this moment, then you know, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm really tired and I should probably like have a snack or something after this class. Right. Really practical. Or it helps you notice, oh, some of my students in the back, they look confused and they're kind of struggling. Or like the students over here, they, they're not really paying attention. Mm. They're like mm. looking out the window, right? So it just very practically also helps you see what's happening in the moment so that you can support yourself and support your students so that you could get to your goal or your lesson or whatever. Mm. Um, so it can be very big, very philosophical. Yeah. But at the end of the day, what I love about mindfulness is just that it's real. This is right. what's going down yeah. right now. So how are you going to respond? Yeah. And can you respond again in a kind and curious way? which is super challenging, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll get into some practices around that. And one of my favorite yeah, moments right. of mindfulness when you talk about like just, just knowing and, and knowing what's happening right now is those moments when I just do like a quick little body scan and I'm like, why am I holding so much tension in my jaw or my eyebrows or my shoulders? Like just that little moment of like, oh, okay, I can just, just breathe that out is, is, is very practical. But something you touched upon that I think is really important to note with mindfulness is... I feel like a lot of times mindfulness is posed to educators as a way to reduce the bad or deal with the bad, which it absolutely can. I mean, even the the concept of mindfulness-based stress reduction kind of looks at like, oh, right. there's a stressful stuff, we reduce this. But what you touched upon is something I don't think it's talked about enough of to what extent mindfulness practices can help us savor or get towards the good and to realize that there, there is something positive in this moment. And 
and I'm doing this moment of, of trying to strengthen my awareness and strengthen my equanimity so that I can have these moments of joy with students again. Yeah. And I can have this sense that the work I do matters because I'm literally paying attention to it matter in the moment. And that's so key for educators right now. is isn't just reducing yeah. the bad, but how do I savor, notice, cultivate more of that good, either internally in my context of school or in a bigger picture of the overall organization? That's huge. You know, this is this is something that I talk a lot about at Hunter College, but also mm. I talk a lot about in mindful schools with our colleagues, right? Because mm. um, all of us were educators. And what we notice is that education often looks our students through a deficit perspective, mm. right? It's like, what what aren't they doing right? Um, where do we need to catch them up? Um, what are the things that they're doing wrong that we need to correct, right? And and so you begin to look at students and at yourself, not for nothing in a way where you're looking for all the bad things, right? Yeah. And and as you know, we have a negativity bias. Yeah. So it's really easy to get caught up in how messed up everything is. And, and believe me, there's lots of challenges <laughs> right. and we all have to be bro right for real but at the end of the day i innately feel like i'm a good person and that everybody's yeah. a good person yeah. right if you give them a chance right but life and stress and pressures and traumas often get in the way of us manifesting our goodness mm. right because we're protecting ourselves mm. or we're shielding ourselves or we're hoarding resources because we're afraid mm. right right and so a lot of what we do at Mindful Schools um, and with the teachers that we work with is focus in on like, what is the good that's happening right now, mm. right? Um, I have a, one of my colleagues, Devin, she says, what's not sucky right now, <laughs> right? What's sucky? Because sometimes it's hard to find the goodness, yeah. right? Yeah. Like sometimes it's like, everything's wrong. There's nothing good in my life, right? Yeah. But there is something that's a little less sucky. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, <laughs> Let's at least start there. That's huge. Like I because one of the things that was coming to mind and, and I've I've had a lot of experiences is that toxic positivity that sometimes gets attached to these ideas of savoring a practice of like, we can't fake like it's good right now if it's not. Like that's right. that's not authentic. That's not real. But I love that phrase of like, what's at least not sucky or less sucky yeah. than it was? Love that. Yeah, that's that's um I take a lot of lines from my colleagues because they're brilliant. <laughs> And, and so every time Devin says that, though, I'm just like, word, like, mm. you know, even though I'm having a hard time right now and I can name, I can list, you know, because mm. my mind does it. Oh, yeah. Like everybody's mind does it. It creates the list of all the things that you got to do that you're stressed about or yeah. you got wrong. But if I take a moment, you know what's less sucky? That I'm alive. Right. <laughs> and that I can even deal with all these issues that I'm dealing yeah. with, right? Yeah. That, you know, uh, that I have a family, that I have a home, like. I mean, like really big deals. Yeah. Let, let's be frank, Heck right? Yeah. Like, what's less sucky? Well, actually, what's really good? What's yeah. really good is that I have a family, I have a meal, I can pay my bills, right? Yeah. I have love in my life. Yeah. I have um, opportunities to be outside and to do the work that I love to do, even if it's hard, right? Yeah. All those things are really great. But I often remember, you know, if I would mess up my lesson in like my last period class, that's all I would remember the right, rest of yeah, the evening. Yeah. Oh, I had a terrible day. It was so crappy. And then yet when I would pause and think about it, it's like, no, there are actually lots of good moments and lots of rich, beautiful, impactful uh, things that happen to me and my students throughout the day, which have lots of benefit for them and for me. But I forgot all about that because I forgot to hand out the essay slip at the end of the class, right? Or something like that. 
<laughs> very minimal. Yeah. But that our mind, you know, kind of blows up and makes yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think even just focusing in on, like, the fact that things are challenging, but at least I'm here to meet that challenge. Great. Um, that could reorient our perspective and hopefully be supportive, right? Not to say that we got to fake it, like you said. Yeah. Things are hard. Things are hard. And, and and let's be with those things. And that's the other thing that mindfulness supports us with, right? Like yeah. mindfulness helps us build the capacity to be with the challenges that are around us in a balanced way or like you mentioned before with equanimity, right? Yeah. Like, oh, okay, this is really hard. This sucks. But you know what? I think I can be with this in a way that's supportive to me. Or at the very least, I have a community that I could turn to. I have someone that will help me through this, right? And your mindfulness practice helps you because, again, it's about connection. Yeah, It helps you identify those people that are really supportive, that really feed you, that can hold you when you're lacking a little mm. bit because sometimes you know i've had a long day and mm. i need a hug <laughs> you know <laughs> and, and like i can hug myself and it's kind of nice but it's not the same thing right like we need we need community also yeah. and that's something that mindfulness also helped me really value mm. um and also why it's awesome to be here talking to you about this right because mm. there is a mindfulness community yeah. of educators out there in the world who are interested in doing this work who are interested in really um I would say the spiritual side of teaching, yeah, right? Really. Like Parker Palmer talks about, right? Yeah. It's like that part that helps us feel connected to something greater than ourselves. Right, right. So that, uh, I think so many educators can can resonate with it. just all those feelings of like the end of the day, one bad thing happens and I'm lingering with it. And it's just the experience of like, well, how do I sit in this difficult thing when every part of my brain is like fight, flight, freeze, try to avoid it. So I would love to to spend some time talking about a couple practices. Yeah, be happy to. Um, and I think that, so I have two practices in mind. Cool. Um, I have this layers of sound practice mm. uh, and um, orienting kind of practice mm. um, and then anchor breath, which is always a goodie mm. um, and really supportive. And I think they're connected to what you're talking about Sweet. around this idea of interconnectedness, savoring and awareness. Um, and so... I talk about it sometimes in this way, like I like to orient and to ground because it supports my nervous system, mm. right? It supports my mind in settling, right? Mm. And one of the hardest things to do when you're uh, when it comes to mindfulness is trying to ha- have a sit when you're not regulated. Mm. Like I, I actually don't recommend it. It's a terrible feeling, <laughs> you know. Like like by the time you're by the time it, you're dysregulated. Like you need to do other things before you could try to sit down in silence, mm. right? Like it's not going to work. And so these practices really support us in beginning to regulate our nervous system, even if like there's a lot going on. Mm. And so the layers of sound or just like orienting to the space that you're in is basically about using your senses to kind of check out the space that you're in, mm. right? Which is something that our nervous system does all the time without us even knowing, mm. right? And so what we're doing is we're giving permission to our nervous system to do its thing we're acknowledging it and we're helping it along Mm -hmm. and so when i'm orienting with sight the way i like to present it is like hey just pause and take a look around your room just like look around the space that you're in maybe even look over your shoulder behind you 
and just notice if there's something that stands out that uh, that you appreciate that you haven't noticed before that maybe brings a little bit of happiness. Maybe it's a plant. Maybe it's a picture of family members or a pet. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's a really vibrant color or pattern or a painting. Something that just stands out to you. And just check it out and kind of linger there and savor that, you know, for a breath or two, right? And so that's orienting with your sense of sight, which is really supportive. And even there's something about even just looking over your shoulder Mm. that sends a signal to your body. It's like, oh, there's nobody behind me. There's (laughs) nothing here, right? That can might threaten me. So I'm going to settle in, right? And that's so that's orienting with sight. Um, you could also do it with sound. Um, and that's one of my favorite mm. ones, uh, especially when it's nice outside mm. or even when it's raining, it's really sweet, right? Yeah. Um, but the layers of sound, it's, it's kind of like, um, you could do it in lots of different ways, but there's like different layers, right, of, that we can mm. listen to. And so we can begin by listening to the most far away sound that you can hear, mm. right? And just getting really quiet and listening. What's the most far away thing that I can hear right now? So I'm hearing some birds chirping in the background. There's a truck or a car driving by. Right? Those are the sounds that I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. And then I could stay there or I could bring uh, my sense of uh, hearing a little bit closer to sounds that are maybe in the room that Mm. you're in. So I have a fridge in this room, so I hear it's humming. I hear the fan from my computer. And then again, we could pause there or we could just do that layer and call it a day, or we could come in a little bit closer and notice any sounds that may be coming from inside you, inside your body. Sometimes I hear my belly gurgling, you know, or maybe it's my breath. Sometimes I could even hear my heartbeat. And then you can release that and just kind of let all the sounds kind of melt together. Yeah, and then, you know, if you want, engaging your other senses, opening your eyes. So it's really, it's really great for your nervous system, right? Like it just supports it again and orienting to what's around the space. Um, but it also helps you connect, yeah. right? It's like just coming back to this connection theme, right? It's like helps me feel connected to my environment. It, it helps me understand how certain noises might be impacting me that I didn't even know I was right. hearing before, right? Like um, fluorescent lights, yeah. right? Like fluorescent <laughs> lights give this crazy sound out. And I realized yeah. after a while that if I turned the lights off in my classroom, there were certain students who just did better. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like they were sensory sensitive yeah. students. 
So the light was kind of glaring, but then also that little buzz it gives, they didn't even know it, but it was driving them crazy, right? And it it just supported them in being able to engage, right? So even just knowing that, oh, there's some sounds around here that really help me feel settled and connected, or, oh, that sound is really bothering me, they can help you in making a choice, right? And responding in a way that's helpful to you, right? Uh, So it's empowering, right? It gives you agency. Um, and so in those little ways, you're doing a lot with that practice, yeah. right? You're just, and it's just a quick, hear the sounds around you type yeah. of space. And I have a, another colleague, April, who um, she'll talk about um, the channels on a radio or like the frequencies mm. on a radio. She's like, what's the frequency out in the hall? Like, mm. right? what's that? What's that radio playing? Mm. What's the frequency out in the streets? What's that? What's that radio playing? Right. That's cool. Um, or she, I have other fr- uh, other colleagues who will just use music yeah. as a way. Like, let's really choose your favorite song. I think Devin mentioned this one to me. Choose your favorite song yeah. and just listen to it for the two minutes in class yeah. right now, in a way that you don't usually listen to songs. Right. Just like sit there and listen to your song and like. I don't know, listen to the lyrics or yeah. listen to the melody, whatever, but just really pay attention to your song and you'll be amazed at what comes out of that. Yeah. I didn't know it said that. <laughs> I didn't know, you know, like, or like, um, wow, it has this like thing that I never heard before that I'm really feeling, right? Yeah. And on top of that, to let your kids use their technology in a classroom in yeah. the way that feels appropriate, yeah, right? right? Yeah. You're not a hero. You know what I mean? Like, and so it just, again, helps connect you and your students helps them like settle their nervous system Mm -hmm. and feel validated and seen and like they have choice right so it's like all these little ways that we can support and model for our students that hey we see you we hear you Mm -hmm. we want to support you okay and now let's get to work right and i guarantee you your students will be more inclined to engage in whatever you have for them because Mm -hmm. you gave them that little bit of support like yeah. that emotional support like hey i'm here i see you. yeah i'm interested in you. um be- before we cool. kind of end now because i know we're like uh, about at the time that i shared with you um is there anything else you want to tell us about mindful schools in particular or resources that you for sure want me to plug yeah man i think it just goes along with all we've been talking about it's like this sense of community is so important right, right? and so what we try to do in mindful schools is like we're off we offer uh, a community practice once a month so Mm -hmm. that you could just come hang out. It's free and we practice together and we check in and it's great because there's people from all around the world and it's awesome just to know that there's a community out there who's also interested in mindfulness and supporting our students. So we do that. But, you know, the other things that I'll suggest, especially for educators in the summer, if they have time, is like we have retreats too, like virtual retreats that are super accessible. Uh, We differentiate so that if even if you're new to practice, you're held. But if you also, you know, are a longtime practitioner, you could go to a space where there's less instruction. And so we really are thinking about the experience of folks to come together to practice in community with other educators so that they can support themselves and hopefully re-energize and be able to go back to work. Um, And then my other suggestion is, you know, we have uh, our 101 course, which is uh, supports you in setting up a practice. Mm -hmm. If you could get you and a couple of school friends, buddies that are like Mm -hmm. interested in it, 
going through it together, right? Taking the course together, talking about it. We also have a live session there so that folks could come and talk during the live sessions. It's asynchronous, most of it, but we do have live sessions. But again, the idea of doing this in community, doing this with yeah. folks at your school, learning together, supporting each other, um, tapping into the mindfulness and education community that's already there, that's yeah. been building you know, for many years now. I think that's a really helpful way for them to find resource, but also to get to know us if they're interested yeah. in getting to know mindful schools. Love it. Couldn't recommend more highly mindful schools just from personal experience and just everything you've shared with me and that idea of uh, all the different options of access points of like, you don't, you have to go full tilt trying to kick off a curriculum. Like you can do some self-exploration first is awesome to have available. Argos, I can't thank you enough for carving out some time to not only help us just better understand some of the relevance and the importance, but to share your experience, because I think it's so enlightening to hear from another educator who's been in the mix of it of how it's impacted you and your world so thanks so much for carving out some time to hang with us today happy hour hodge podge I hope you're feeling some deeper connection with life right now. Now, when I did that layers of sound practice with Argos, I've referred to it in my head as the layers of loud birds because I noticed so many friggin' birds. And not that that's a bad thing, but it's just fascinating to notice the things we don't notice that are happening around us all the time. The layers of sound practice is a great example of how we can intentionally seek deeper connection with the world around us. That with a little prompting, we can realize that we are interconnected to this vast web of human experience. And we can do this at any moment, whether we're sitting down to meditate or just pausing to reflect for a moment. But to continue this interconnection work, here are a couple takeaways from today's episode to move you forward this week. Number one is to do another interconnectedness reflection at some point in the next week. You can use the same meditation Argos led, or if you want another variation, I've included a link to a couple more practices in the show notes, one that is a little bit shorter and one that's a little bit lengthier to help us deepen that connection. By actively seeking this interconnectedness with our meditation or just reflection practices, we build a habit of seeing commonality and community rather than division. We see how our actions matter in affecting this web of experience. And those two ideas, community plus impact, are the key to feeling that our work in education is purposeful. Now, your second action step, homework assignment optional that you could take, is to find a community of practice. Now, Argus mentioned briefly in this conversation around how finding community helped him deepen his mindfulness practices and habits. And on later episodes within this series, you're going to hear him go even further into that idea of community. But between now and then, consider joining a community that supports your self-growth goals or mindfulness goals you're seeking. Maybe it's joining Mindful School's monthly community practices, the first Wednesday of every month. Now, there are other countless options for groups that exist, whether it's an informal group like Facebook or a course you can take with others. Communities can help strengthen our accountability to our effort and practices alongside like-minded people. If nothing else, start a community. Begin small by finding just one other person who wants to strengthen their mindfulness practices or aligns with your self-growth goals. Now, the note of community. I'm thankful, as always, for this community of listeners. 
I'll have a bonus reflection coming your way this week that brings together one of my favorite teachers and passages in interconnectedness. So be on the lookout for that. But in between now and then, thank you for the listen. Thank you for who you are. And thank you for being interconnected to this amazing thing we call life. Cheers, and I'll connect with you all again next week. Special thanks again to our sponsor, TYS Speakers. If you want to inspire and motivate your staff or students to positive action, then head over to tysspeakers.com to browse a list of carefully vetted speakers and professional development leaders whose messages are engaging, evidence-based, and life-changing. Read testimonials, watch demo videos, and find a speaker that can help take your school or organization to the next level. tysspeakers.com.